Blog Talk Radio. Good afternoon, tennis fans. Welcome to the Yellow Ball Network. This is where you'll find your tennis news. And this is your host, Coach Denise, exploring tennis blessings and its effects on life's journey. Tennis is a wonderful sport, which could be the vehicle that takes you through life's journey. And our mentors, well, they might provide that roadmap for your journey. On most Thursdays, I am blessed to be talking with mentors who have paved the pathway for many tennis players and coaches. On those other Thursdays when I don't have one of the mentors on, we have some exciting catches, uh, coaches or guests that uh, could be from the USTA, the USPTA, the PTR, or the racket industry itself. But most of the time, the, the mentors we have, most of them, uh, many of them being authors, like uh, today's uh, mentor, Alan Fox, uh, next week's mentor, Coach Chuck uh, Greasy, uh, Coach uh, Scott William the following week. And over the last uh, almost four years now, we've been blessed to have people like Dr. Bryce Young on, uh, energy coach Linda LeClaire, uh, Coach Ashley Hobson, Nick Saviano, uh, Scott Engie, uh, and many more, more people. So hopefully the blessings continue. Of course, the nice thing about Block Talk Radio and the Yellow Ball Network is that you can listen any time you choose to the broadcast or any of the other uh, broadcasts on the network. And speaking about the Yellow Ball Network, I would like to thank the Yellow Ball CEO, J.P. Weber, for hosting our network. And if you're not following We Coach Tennis on Facebook, you're missing out on some useful information. Because I do believe Dr. King, when he said, our lives begin to end the day we become silent about things that matter, each Thursday I will add my personal views on North American tennis, and naturally, you will hear my biased views that the tennis journey should be going through our high schools and colleges. Who knows? We might wake up that sleeping giant called high school tennis. Besides our weekly conversation, the almighty willing, you will be able to continue reading my articles in Florida Tennis Magazine. And as I previously expressed, if you disagree, please email me at Coach Denise, that's D A N I S E dot F H S T C A at T dot net. That's Coach Denise dot F H S T C A at T dot net. Who knows? You may read your views in Florida Tennis uh, Magazine, or you might hear them on one of my Coach Denise Share and Tennis Blessings. It would not be the first time that has happened. I should also remind you that the new issue of Florida Tennis Magazine uh, should be out now. I know I received uh, mine uh, a couple of days ago, uh, beautiful uh, pictures of uh, the Miami Open new uh, facilities. I was not able to get down there, uh, Bobby and I. Unfortunately, we had other things we had to take care of, but I uh, can't wait to get down there next year. But it just looks like a beautiful uh, place. And if somebody's taken the last issue of Florida Tennis Magazine from your pro shop, 
You can always see the last issue of the magazine by going to www.floridatennis.com. Or in between uh, issues, you can find Jim Martz and some of my articles as well uh, on Facebook at FL Tennis. That's FL Tennis on Facebook. A lot of things go on in between uh, the issues, and we try to keep you informed there. So I think I see my uh, mentor on today, Alan Fox. We're blessed to and I, I think this is a special time. But let me give you my commentary first, and we can get right into our uh, broadcast. I agree. Shut up and listen is not politically correct, but it is me. I appreciate everyone's remarks on last week's commentary, especially those who agreed that listening is at least equal in value as expressing your opinion. One of the things I enjoyed most during my years of coaching high school tennis was our monthly parent-players meetings prior to the official start of tennis training. Listening to those prospective tennis players and their parents each month provided the guidance I needed to be coaching these people once the, those that chose to be part of the team. I do believe learning who we were individually each year was the key to our program. Getting to know each other offered us the opportunity to love each other and support each other when needed. Learning each other's likes and dislikes afforded the knowledge needed for how to address problems or lack of hustle or disappointment of an action when it occurred. Being supportive and being truthful is always easier when everyone on the team knows and loves each other and uh, they are on the same mission. This has always been my philosophy when coaching. Well, I guess truthfully, even doing my business consulting and writing for Florida Tennis Magazine or my broadcast on the Yellow Ball Network as far as that goes. But developing the knack for listening has been a key ingredient in my journey through life. And now in the sunset of my journey, I fear that society's strength is no longer listening and learning from each other. Too often, I see people listening for an opportunity to interrupt and make their point rather than listening to other points of views. I have been blessed to enjoy many mentors and I'm appreciative of all the mentors and I really appreciate the time they spent and the time I could have listening to all of them. I'm especially thankful for those who join me each Thursday on Coach Denise Sharon Tennis Blessings each week. And I remind my mentors every uh, week prior to coming on that the success of our broadcast is not the audience listening to an old coach with a raspy voice, but it's the blessings of those mentors that the people have enjoyed listening to for, well, almost four years now. So I must admit, I enjoy listening each week to these mentors and guests when they come on, probably as much as you do, and 
truthfully, maybe even more than you. Uh, that's why I enjoy doing the broadcast, uh, because I get to sit and listen most of the time. I should just end with and remind you that in many places, listening is not an opportunity. So enjoy the blessing. It's your advantage. Well, that's my commentary for this week. And I think I do see Dr. Alan Fox on. I am, Alan, John. How are you today? I'm, I'm doing fine, John. I'm doing fine. And actually, I enjoyed listening to what you had to say there. Very pertinent, valuable advice. Easy, not that easy to do for some of us, but very good advice. Uh, you don't learn much when you're talking. So this is true. This is my father reminded me of that as a kid, and I uh, truthfully I probably didn't appreciate it till years later when I went in the Marine Corps. But uh, you know I'm a slow learner. Yeah, well in the Marine Corps. They have ways of making you listen, I guess. Uh, <laughs> <in the laughs> yeah. And I, I realized what he was talking about. So, But I think it's uh, it's something that, um, I, I, you know, this is a special time now with, uh, and tennis uh, started the season. And, and I see little things going on now. And uh, I thought that we might be able to, talk about that or you might be able to talk about it and I would listen mostly but I I see it seems like we were exposed especially in the Miami Open with people that were you know up and down and up and down I, I thought too much people not handling people you expected to do good coming uh, from California and all of a sudden they just teased out um, I thought I, I got ideas re- reading your three books uh, that I have. I probably should go read even more, but uh, uh, there's a lot of lessons in there. But I thought it would be important for you to talk about that. Well, uh, I think what what we had decided to go into today was uh, uh, transitional situations. I, I believe that. Right. That's and correct. It happens during a match, match and it happens uh, from match to match, I guess. It does, and from tournament to tournament. Uh, right. And, and what I mean by transitional situations is uh, some event that changes the equation between the two players. And uh, often in these situations, one of the two players is going to let down or for one reason or another, uh, sort of go out sideways in the match. And, and it's, it's well to be aware of, of uh, times that that can happen. Uh, and and I, was, I, I, I was noticing in, in the Miami tournament, for instance, one and, and, and in these transitional situations, one of the driving forces uh, – that makes things tends to make things change is that uh, one person will relax, maybe uh, come out with less intensity than normally. And uh, intensity is an interesting one. It's one of the trickier parts of tennis 
is to be intense on every point because what, what intensity does for you is it tends to cut down the errors. In other words, and what I mean by intensity is, you know, a very strong activated focus on your game plan and trying to, you know, push through your, uh, you know, push through your plan and keep your strokes under control. And what, what tends to, one of the major things that makes people less intense is they get tired or they have too much stress for too long and they, they want to escape from it. Uh, and, and I believe uh, team, he, uh, theme or team, however you pronounce it, uh, won the Indian Wells tournament. And then he came into Miami, and I believe he lost very early. Yes. And, and, and that's, that's somewhat common. And, and, and you want to know why, why is that? And that's one of the things that, that may separate a team from a Federer or a Nadal. Because Federer and Nadal and the very top players, week in and week out, can be under high stress and, and concentrate and fight their way through match after match, and they can keep doing it. They can keep doing it all year. And the, the, the average person, after they've uh, achieved a win, uh, they want to relax a little bit because it's unnatural to, to – uh, be under that much stress for that long and be able to take it. It's more natural after you've been under stress for a while, you just kind of want to get out of it. And so I could see team, he wins the tournament and now he's not quite pushing for every point as hard as he can to start with. Maybe he thinks he's playing well and he can sort of relax at the oars a little bit, but you know, when you're playing at this level of tennis, you can't do that. And, and so you lose early. Uh, and, and, and you see the same sort of dynamic at the end of a set. Like it's very common. I, I look at that. That's one of the transitional situations, by the way, is at the end of a set. Uh, you have to be ready to play beginning the next set because somebody usually is going to let down or, and, and the other is probably going to be more motivated. Uh, for instance, when you win a close set, uh, the pressure in the set grows as you get closer to the end of it. I mean, the one-all game, there's not that much stress on it. Two-all, not much stress. As you get to three-all, it starts to grow. And at four-all, five-all, you know, you're looking at the end of the set, and that's where the pressure is. And so if, if one player manages to push through you know, he, he or she have been under pressure at the end. And so when they start the next set, they're liable to just relax a little bit. It's very natural. And, of course, you relax a little bit, you make a few errors, and the next thing you know, you're in the third set. So these, these transitional situations, it's very well, it's very wise to be aware of them so that, you know, someone's going to let down uh, at the end of a set, it won't be you. Uh, if you've won the set, you have, to, you have to be ready to play the next set right away because that's when you can put your opponent away. Okay? If, if you're ready to go right away and you can get a lead in the second set, you can break your opponent down completely sometimes. 
so if you win the set, you have to be ready to go. If if you lose the set, in the back in the back of your mind, it should be, you know, get ready to jump on your opponent and and uh, prove that the first set was a uh, unnatural ending and you know you can do better than that and so ends of set uh, big transitional time uh, but there are other other times when things are liable to change too like for instance after after a dispute of a call okay uh, that can turn matches around I've seen it happen many times or or, or any type of dispute between the two players, okay? It, it's an interruption in the flow of the match, and, and somebody is liable not to get what they want at the end of it, okay? The, the decision will go against somebody because two players can't win the same point, of course. Someone's going to get it. Uh, and, and, and somebody is liable to go away upset, and whenever you get upset in a tennis match, by upset I mean emotionally disturbed, you know, like when you get, if you get cheated in a match, someone gives you a bad call, that's emotionally disturbing, more so than just losing a point. Uh, when someone gives you a bad call, it, that feels like a moral issue. It feels like you've, you, you, it feels worse than just missing a forehand, losing a point. And so liable to become emotional and and then there's liable to be a back and forth interchange of some sort and then when you finally get back and have to start playing you know it's very common for somebody not to not to be ready to go and so when i was coaching pepperdine in fact uh we we would have team meetings on that very topic of i called it you know a reaction to a rhubarb you know, there would be umpires, there would be a dispute of some sort, and there would be, you know, the back and forth, and then you have to go out there and be ready to play. And so that would be a time you could turn a match around if you were behind, or if you were ahead, you could break your opponent completely if you're ready to play. Because the weaker player mentally in such a situation is going to potentially have an excuse for losing at that stage. He or she's going to think about it and, and, and dwell on the fact that they've been cheated or, or they've been called a cheater or the umpire sided against them. Uh, and, and then they start having an excuse and they bail out sideways. And, and, and you saw Serena do this in the open last year. Okay. She, she had a, uh, a warning for coaching, which was it justified or wasn't it? Who knows? I mean, her claim was that all the male players get coached or other players get coached, and, and, and she uh, was called for it. But she didn't even lose a point. But, you know, she's, she's in the finals of the U.S. Open. I mean, here's the situation. It's somewhat like teams deal, and that is, She's played six matches already to get to the finals. So she's been under pressure for, you know, almost two weeks. And so uh, that, that grows on you. That, that eats on a person. And so 
now she gets a warning and she's already on the edge emotionally. And so that warning somehow seems like it was more important than it should have been. You know, the player, because of the stress, they exaggerate it in their mind. It becomes uh, bigger than it should be. So, I mean, that, that little warning and then her reactions to it and dwelling on it and going after the umpire eventually cost her her chance for coming back in the match. You know, maybe it cost her the U.S. Open. So the, it isn't just the club players or the college players or high school players that do it. You know, the great professional. I mean, Serena may be the best female player of all time, and she does it. So anybody can. Very, very common. And, and it, it, your, your, your emotional system, when it, when it uh, fires off like that and gets off track, it can overpower your logic system. You do things that you shouldn't do. So uh, we could talk about more of these situations. I mean, there, there are other transitional situations that, that come up. Just briefly, at, at the end of a long point, that, that someone often is not going to be ready to play on the next point. Someone's going to maybe go for an early winner or try a low percentage shot because they're not ready to do that again. Or after long games, like when you have opportunities to break your opponent's serve and you don't do it, that, that often leads to losing your own serve the next time. Uh, or after a service break. When, when a player breaks serve, that is the time that he or she are most likely to lose their serve in the next game. Why? Because they want to rest. They're up a service break. Maybe they're not ready to play, or maybe they get cautious when they're ahead. Uh, but in any case, that's when they're most likely to lose their serve. And, and often when that happens, that can cost them the whole set. You know, they get up the break, they blow it on their next serve, they, they're disturbed by that or slightly off, and, and the opponent can run out the set on them. So you'll see all these things happen with the pros, you know, all the time. And so it happens even more often when you're dealing with the recreational players or club players or high school players. Yeah, motion's less under control. Anyway, John, yeah. that was that was my soliloquy here. Do you think here. that uh, an individual, your opponent, just because that type of player in a situation comes up, is that one of those situations that you, would you know you fall into that trap? And I think of the person from Australia, and and I love his play, all his shots and everything, but then he serves Korea. the hand and everything. Individual players that play him, could that, you know, could just the idea that now I'm facing this person put more pressure on themselves this way? Or, or, I mean, when that situation happens, everything is, is going smooth, and then all of a sudden he does one of his crazy things. Well, it's what we say is crazy things. And it, might be, it might not be crazy to him. But uh, those are the kind of things that they are the transitional time. Oh, here he goes again. I, I'm in trouble, or I got to play better, or 
Well, I wouldn't call that a normal transitional situation. I mean, when you play uh, Curios, as any you know, one that's uh, deep into the tournaments and watching it a lot knows, I mean, Curios is one of the super talents uh, physically. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I mean, so he's he's very very difficult to play against in any case. I mean, he he, he aces his opponent about every other time. I mean, he's got a you know, a very, uh, I guess, very hard to read serve. It's a quick action. Uh, and then he can do anything with the ball. He's a great talent. So you don't know what he's going to do. Uh, now, when you play a player like that, I mean, one of the problems, I mean, he, he'll make a lot of mistakes, okay? But you don't get any rhythm either. And so uh, Although he's making errors, you're liable to make a lot of errors just because you don't. There's not a normal flow to the match. I mean, that underhand serve that he hit actually won the point. The, I forget who he's playing against, but the opponent couldn't get it. He was too far back. It was a, kind of a cunning play, actually. Uh, yeah, it was. But a typical curious thing, though, where he does something that most players aren't going to do. So you're not going not gonna to see it coming. You don't know what he's going to do. Uh, Curios is, is is a bizarre example of, of, of mental issues. I mean, physically, he's probably as good as anybody in the game, maybe better than anyone else. Uh, but but he, he gets into these matches and he virtually tanks from the beginning. He'll he'll try bizarre shots that are low percentage. Uh, and, and, and he'll throw away matches. And, and of course, you, you, the reasoning is not clear in general as to why someone would do that. But, I mean, the obvious reason to me is because he, he can't take the stress. And so by, by sort of semi-tanking the way he does, uh, you don't feel the stress. You know, it's like, I don't care. That's his attitude. I don't care. I'll just do whatever I want out here, and I don't care whether I win. I don't even want to play, in fact. And so <laughs> I've seen him play these weird matches with that kind of an attitude, and, and, and he'll hang in there. He'll hang in there. He, he'll lose the match, but he'll hang in there with his serve. He just aces the guy, goes for second serve aces, does all these weird things, and kind of hangs tough but eventually loses the match. He, 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 he's like a guy that's afraid of dying, so he commits suicide. Okay, his, <laughs> his, his problem is the stress of wanting to win. I mean, that's where the stress comes from in all these matches. You know, everybody wants to win. It, people can tell you they don't care. They're just playing for exercise or, you know, for the fun of it. No, it's more fun when you win. And so everyone really wants to win, uh, but they may not be willing to do what it takes or undergo the prolonged concentration or stress of pushing and trying to win for two or three hours. And so they, they back out sideways. And uh, so that's what I believe Curios is doing. He's, he's trying to avoid the, the, the pressures of competition, the stress of it, and he bails out. You know, so so he loses. He gets the very thing that he's afraid of in the first place, and that's a loss. 
although a lot of people, it's an interesting one. I mean, losing is very painful and unpleasant uh, for most people, uh, but being responsible for it is, is maybe the worst part. If uh, people, a lot of people think if it's not your fault, then the losing's not so bad. You see it in doubles lots of times. Someone comes off and, 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 oh, my partner lost her serve three times and I didn't lose mine. So the losing, yeah, we lost, but it wasn't my fault. So it's better. I'm okay. And that, that's where a lot of the excuse making comes in. You know, it wasn't my fault. I got cheated. So losing is less painful for me. You know, I didn't lose really. You know, I was, I was cheated out of the match. They think somebody actually cares. Of course, nobody does. You make your excuses. You think, you think someone is interested, but of course they aren't. They're a lot more interested in their own matches and not really very interested in whether you won or lost or why in particular. They don't even care if you won or lost, much less why you won or lost. Lost. Anyway, that's that. The curious, by the way, curious. My son knows. My son uh, Charlie uh, produces a program on the Tennis Channel called Uncovered, sort of a magazine show, and so he spends a lot of time on the on the tour, uh, working with the players and so forth. And he he spent a lot of time at Curios and says he's a very very nice guy. So a lot of people think he isn't, but. Actually, he is. Yeah, I believe that. I I always I've often wondered if he was just bored or um, you know just hiding uh, the the challenge of the game or what. But I mean, he's always you know he tells his opponent you know the challenge to call. Uh, I, I mean that I think uh, you know that that's. One of the things I always uh, re- respected and liked about Jimmy Connors too, as obnoxious as he could get in fighting, I mean, he just uh, always was uh, never wanted to cheat anybody. I felt, and I, and I feel that way with this kid too. I just, uh, I don't know. I think, truthfully, I root for him a little that he solves uh, his issues because he's just such a talent. Yeah, he's a talent and, and a nice kid. So I, I hope he eventually gets it and straightens up. I mean, people, it's an understanding type of a thing. You have to, you have to understand what's going on and counter nature. I mean, it, it is normal human nature when you're under high stress to want to reduce the stress. It's very unpleasant. Okay, And so it's quite, it's a natural thing when you've been under stress or you're going to be under stress to look for ways to bail out of it. Uh, and, and only by effort of will uh, and understanding the ramifications of doing such a thing, uh, can you overpower that? If you, if you just let nature take its course, yeah, you everyone will bail out under high stress for a long period of time. You, you have to force yourself past that, you know? And so, Eventually, he may figure it out. I mean, 
you know, a similar, a, not nearly as obvious, but a somewhat similar case was Andre Agassi. I mean, mm-hmm. Andre Agassi was one of the big tankers of all time in his younger days. I mean, when things would go bad, he would bail out. Uh, and in his later 20s, he actually made a turn. I think about the time he, he was coached by Brad Gilbert, he made a turn where he stopped doing that. He started, you know, competing and, and competing all the way through the matches. But he had a revelation, you know, it takes some people longer to have that. So hopefully Curious will have it. Uh, I have to slightly disagree with you about Jimmy Connors, by the way. Uh, <laughs> okay. Connors, uh, Connors was not the most honest guy. I mean, he, he would take about anything he could get. So, uh, you know, I, I, I see him almost as the opposite of Curios. I mean, he was a great competitor, ferocious uh, focuser and he could concentrate forever, you know, never give up kind of kid, kind of guy. Uh, but, I mean, he wasn't giving away a lot of points. I mean, he, he, no. he and John McEnroe uh, hate each other. <laughs> and, oh, yeah. And th- that's unusual at that high level. When you have two great players, you know, usually they respect each other. Uh, even though they may not get along on the court, there's respect. But with Connors and McEnroe, there isn't. Now, when my son and I uh, used to play a lot, and he would make believe he was uh, McEnroe, and I was, uh, well, before that, I was Pacho Gonzalez, but he wanted to be current was his age. So he was, you know, I became uh, Jimmy Connors, although I could never play like him. But, you know, I always felt, and we all have prejudice and biases, but Connors, I always felt, got caught up in the action, and he would explode. And I never, the vulgarity, I just always despised. But he would say, how would you accept it with him, but you don't accept it with McEnroe? I truly believe that McEnroe would disrupt things to take the rhythm away from his opponent. I, I believe half of the things he was arguing, he really didn't even believe. He was just, you know, taking his opponent out of the game. And one time I did that with my son, and about halfway through it, he had a girlfriend <laughs> that was watching him. And about halfway through it, he said to me, Dad, I know what you're doing, you know. But this game went to hell. And I said, Why, what happened to your game? So, I don't know. I, I guess I'm always, uh, at, at, now at my age, I worry about the brain because I've, uh, I, I, I don't see a, a cure yet for, uh, you know, the disease that senior citizens are really worried about. So, I, maybe I worry too much about it. But I always thought something could be done. And this is why I always thought the rules had to be equal for everybody because if you obey the rules, and, uh, I think then you don't have these problems. But that's me, and that's just the way I am. Well, of course the rules should be the same for everybody. Uh, they rarely are, but they should be. 
Well, right. I, whatever that means. <laughs> that would be just. But, of course, justice in the real world is not always possible. Not always possible to get it. Uh, but the, 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 the response, the overall response is if you can't get justice, then you have to do the best with what you have. You know, True. if you get cheated, you know, then you can't let that affect the rest of your game. You just lose that one point. I mean, uh, so, yeah, it's unjust. I mean, that's a whole topic that I find interesting, by the way, is what to do if you get cheated. Uh-huh. What do you think you should do, John? What, what, what would be your advice to a junior who plays one of these tournaments and gets hooked? Well, to me, uh, most people disagree with me because I was never to believe you should hook the person back. I always, I used to tell people, you know, ask, are you sure? If you see there's a problem, let's get uh, somebody in there to call it. And in high school tennis where we didn't have an official until you got to the championship matches, I would have their coach be on the court. And say you see and yeah. I see what's going on. You address it. So, but I I was never one of those persons that said hooked them back. And truthfully, I've had players <laughs> remind me that it was my fault that the match was lost. And uh, and and they were probably right to some degrees. I mean, we've all been through it where people you get hooked in, in a match. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, by the way, I, I, I have always agreed with you, uh, with my team guys. I, I didn't like, uh, I, I, I didn't like to see somebody just hooked back. Uh, I, I, I always thought it was better to just. I mean, the, usually you don't lose the match because of the bad call or two. You lose it because you get upset about the bad call, uh, and and. and it becomes an excuse for you not concentrating or just being able to get as angry as you want to get. Uh, I'm not really 100% sure of it. I, I, I've heard it, uh, the hooking, uh, uh, reverse hooking, hooking back. Uh, I've had one, one person tell me, what I do is if they cheat me, you know, I ask them, I try to get an umpire, but if I can't, if I can't, then I will give a blatant bad call and tell my opponent, look it, if you want to play that way, we'll play that way. Okay. If, if you want to play straight up, then let's play straight up. Uh, maybe you get their attention better that way. I, I, I don't know. This is what I, I was coaching a, a Russian player on the tour a few years back. And he told me in the juniors, that's what he would do. And that would usually straighten them up. So it made me rethink it. Because I see it as quite a, a, an unsolvable problem at the junior level. Because they just don't have enough umpires. And the umpires not, they'll usually have one umpire for a number of matches. And, and, he, and the umpire's not going to stay there on your court the whole time to save you from this person. So... And, no, I, and, agree, I agree with you, Derek. Especially on the juniors, it's more difficult. I mean, I've seen when the tournaments that I ran in with officials, somebody you could see the person cheating, and finally when the person calls for a line person, 
you would never, you don't see it no more. It disappears because there's a linesman there. And then what, what you aggravate you sometimes is at the end of the match and say, you see, I told you there was no problem. The guy just stopped yeah. cheating because somebody was there. But I, you know, I never figured out the answer to that problem, and I don't know if I will. Yeah, I don't think there's a good answer. Uh, I mean, I agree. And one other thing makes it uh, a little different than than I would like it to be, and that is, uh, I like to think that because you get cheated out of a couple of points, that doesn't cause you to lose. Uh, but you know, tennis being the kind of scoring system, uh, having the kind of scoring system it has, I mean, there are some, there can be some pretty big points. And if you get cheated right. on those, it can make a heck of a difference. I mean, your opponent gets set point in a tiebreaker and cheats you, <laughs> and, and suddenly he, he or she has half a match. <laughs> that, that makes quite a difference. So, yeah, no it, question. It I remember in one of your books, I don't remember which one, but you had how does the scoring system make the finishing so difficult? I think it was uh, tennis winning the mental match, but I'm not sure which one. But I always remember that phrase that you used. I mean, the, the scoring system itself presents problems in tennis that other sports don't have. Yeah, the points in, in other sports – Everyone, every major sport that I know of, uh, the points all count the same. I mean, right. a touchdown in football is six points, and no matter when you get it, it's six points, and you just add up all the points, and at the end of the, of the time, whoever has the most wins. Same in basketball. Baseball, right. it's runs and innings and so forth. In tennis, it's different. The points don't count the same. I mean, the set point at, at 6-5 somebody wins that point. I mean, it's basically an even set. And, and, and if somebody wins that one set point, uh, they have the half of a match. I mean, that's a huge difference. I mean, in, in, that, in my book there, I use as, a, as an analogy, you could, you could cause that in basketball if you said after every five minutes, the next basket counts 10 points. You know, you right. get a lot of pressure in the middle of the matches, in the middle of the game as well. Uh, so in tennis, you run into these these point differentials. I mean, game point uh, in a game is is a more important point than the one all than the five all point. If you lose the game point, you lose the whole game. If you lose the five all point, you're just down fifteen thirty. That's a big difference. You can still win the game. So, yeah, and and and, and what happens in tennis, it, 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 the pressure. What I, the point I was making, actually, I think in the book, was that uh, tennis has a number of situations where you have to finish. The finish is the pressure, okay? It, it, the pressure right. is when you get right to the edge, when you're ahead, and you get right to the edge of winning, but you haven't won yet, okay? That's when the pressure is the greatest, you know? So, uh, it, it, and, and I look at it as, as finishing is a difficulty in any sport. You know, right at the end, when the whole game is on the line, that's when there's pressure. And in tennis, that happens all the time throughout the match. You know, every game, you know, ends up with game point, and, and it, that's a finishing situation. You've got to be able to push it through. 
and when you're ahead. And so there's pressure. I mean, people find, and, and I do myself, it, it, they'll, they'll play a 10-point game, like a 10-point baseline game, very common. Those are more pleasant than playing a set because you don't have the, the game point to finish uh, issue. All the points count the same in a 10-point baseline game. So it's, it's less stressful than a set would be. Right. Yeah, no question about it. And, uh, this is what makes tennis the unique game that is. And uh, I really think, uh, you know, in, in, your, uh, in your other book, when you brought it to the business, uh, well, most of them you talked about, I mean, the winner's mind, I think, to win. But, I mean, I think the preparation – well, preparation in any sport, I think, is going to help you through life's journey, and especially if you're going into business, it's going to help you. But I don't think there's, you know, in a tennis match, it's like a crisis management course every shot. And so I think there's more preparation playing tennis, I think, for life's journey than the other sports. But I'm biased, I admit it. No, I think, of course, I'm biased too, so I agree with you. You're talking to the right biased listener. Uh, but, but tennis, it tends to be more emotional than most other games. I mean, it, it's very personal, and it takes a long time, and you have to concentrate. You have to have prolonged concentration, and it's a very fine line you have to draw. For instance, you have to be focused and up and a little bit excited, but not too excited. If you get too excited, then you get stiff. So you've got to be relaxed <laughs> in order to hit your shots properly. Uh, but then you have to be excited and intense so you don't make a lot of mistakes. And it's a very fine line, and, and you have to be on it all the time for a long period of time. That, that's a very difficult uh, emotional and concentration problem. Uh, and so... Tennis, you have to learn to control your emotion, and nobody's going to help you. Nobody's going to save you if you can't save yourself. Uh, so it, it, it does uh, cause you to develop uh, attributes that are very helpful in the real world. I mean, emotional control and focus and being able to take it when things go against you, which they always do in the real world. Uh, handling disappointment not letting your emotions control your logic system. I mean, all of those things are quite useful in the real world, and you have to solve those to become a, a decent tennis player. Tough game, very tough. It is. I just, uh, and I, I say it every week, I, I feel blessed to have mentors like you. I mean, the, uh, because I really believe in, the, I, I've been asked before, before, you know, you have so many authors on there. You, yes, I do. Uh, and uh, I, 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 I gave out books when I coached in high school rather than trophies, because I do believe where, you know, I, my own personal uh, complaint against our school systems, I think we're now educating the past test and we're educating the get. Uh, so you get a government job, and we're not helping you uh, keep your mind open and being able to sit there and comprehend more. 
And I just finished a book because I am concerned about dementia and um, my age, and it's uh, it's switch on your brain. It's called. And she, the the doctors, convinced me that uh, and she goes through a 21-day toxic for your brain to sit there and uh, how to sit there and keep in the positive. And on a tennis match, you're, everything is so instantaneously. But you know, if you've read the winning the mental game and the winner's mind and think to win and uh, uh, coaching tennis and all those those books, you're able to. One of the things she sits there and encouraging for a person my age is that the brain every single night we're wrapping more myelin around the the brain, and the brain is learning every single night if we're producing that stuff. So. Ken, uh, are your books and other books going to sit there and be able to handle that instantaneously, that minute on the tennis court? No. But if you're going through those all the time uh, and you understand what the person is saying, and even if you don't understand or if you disagree with them, uh, I remember the inner game of tennis, my son and I, he said, Dad, throw that away. And it took him, you know, and it, it was the pain in the neck father that I was and say, John, you've got to read this book. And he said, yeah, it became a book where it wasn't so bad. And then it was, well, there's some good points in it. And, yeah, I can see that point of view. And I don't think we're willing as a society as much, and maybe it's selective thinking of an old man, I don't know, but I don't know if we're willing to sit there and listen to every point of view and even that point of view that we don't like to hear. And your thoughts? Well, I, 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 you know, uh, modern times, uh, everything in modern times and recent times, Things are compressed. There's more instant gratification than there used to be. Uh, people, you know, were forced to have more patience years ago because you didn't have the Internet at your fingertips. You didn't have all this stimulation. You had to create it for yourself. And so the, the, the information and the inputting, you know, took some time. You know, had to come out of books, so you had to go to a lecture and listen. Now everything is, is quick. You can get everything electronically. You don't have to talk to people. You can get your nose in your iPhone and get all kinds of information. Uh, I think it's more passive now than it used to be. Uh, to take in information years ago, you had to uh, uh, be active. You, you had to do some work, read it, and so forth. Uh, now you can sort of just let it flow into you. You can go to YouTube and have, you can have somebody tell you things. You know, you don't have to uh, dig it out and read it, which is, you know, more diff, more taxing on the brain. It takes more of an active uh, participation than just, you know, watching a video or something. Uh, so I think it's gotten more difficult for, for young people. Uh, I think what's going to happen if, if you want to, this is just a, a prediction, somewhat obvious actually, uh, but but the way things are going, uh, technology is going to 
take more and more and more a part of everybody's life uh, and change things. I was just thinking of the economy, for instance. I mean, we're, we're off the track, but should I, should I go on for a minute on this thing? Yeah, go ahead, because I, I, that was one of the discussions. Somebody said I was political. Well, life is political, and, you know, this is what, what, what if we're going to live, then everything is politics. Yeah, well, here's, uh, here's sort of just a view on, uh, on economics. I mean, basically, economics uh, deals with uh, how you produce goods and services and how you divide them up. That's the essence of it. If you boil it down, you look at communism or socialism or capitalism, you're, you're talking about this. You have this big pot of, uh, you could look at it at the end of the year of goods and services that the gross national product, uh, you're producing a bunch of stuff. And now the question is who gets what and who gets how much of it. Uh, and so, but w- what's going to happen Ultimately, it, it was uh, is it, we're going to have more stuff than we know what to do with. I mean, historically, the problem has always been to produce more stuff so you could have a bigger pot and divvy everything up. Everybody would have more, no matter how you did it, sort of. Uh, there would just be more for everybody. And so it was always, uh, you know, a question of how you could produce more stuff. Uh, you know, a hundred years ago, a man worked with his hands and brain. He was like a man, a, a machine, an intelligent machine. You know, he was working on a farm using his body as a machine and his brain as the controller. Uh, but as computers have gotten uh, involved and there's more automation, that's been cut out of it. Uh, and so we're producing more and more stuff with less and less work. And ultimately, I would say 20 to 30 years from now, uh, the computers are going to be extremely smart, and they'll match them up with machines. And most of the work's going to be done that way. You won't have uh, a, a large human component in, in, in production. And so you'd be able to produce a car eventually by the designer will design it on, on some sort of a computer screen, screen and push a button, and a car will come out of the other end. And so there's going to be masses of stuff eventually uh, restricted only by, by energy and, and raw materials. There won't be a labor content in it. Uh, and, and then you're going to have the problem of, of what are people going to do since probably half the country will be out of a job. So you're going to have masses of, of, of goods and services and, and, not that many people uh, necessary to produce it. So then what? You see, well, it's going the, to get interesting. The, yeah, the argument on that is with the one world order, and, you know, we, we do away. So we're either going to do away with, you know, places like Planned Parenthood because we don't need it. We're back to, uh, you know, the original uh, progressive movement, or we're uh, – we're going to wind up doing away with the next war. It'll, you know, it's going to take care of a, a lot of that. And, and that's unfortunate, but uh, hopefully there's something in, in this, there in between. Uh, one of the things that uh, uh, the, the doctor talks about in the book and 
and she, she's talking about the uh, brain, but she said and explained in the brain and the technical parts of the brain, which I can't get into because I can't even describe them, but she relates them to the Bible. And she uh, she's, she has quotes in different parts of it to the Old and New Testament and the Bible, and she says science is just now approaching the time now where uh, they uh, they're catching up with the Bible. So I'm hoping that's going to be the answer, but maybe not. Um, hopefully, uh, my brain's going to keep working uh, for a little while. I'll probably still worry more than I should. But, uh, Doctor, what's the last word you have for the audience uh, today? Go out, get some exercise, get your racket out, and, and, and go see how you do in these transitional situations. <laughs> that would be my advice for the day. And, and, and don't worry about the, the long term that I'm talking about since that's technology and nothing much to be done about it at this point. Just take care of your family and go to your church or your synagogue and, and live your life in a, in a decent way. The rest of it, we'll see. That's right. If we all could think about what we can give back to society, I think we'll uh, make it. I hope uh, we do. I would remind everybody to tell your friends uh, about uh, Block Talk Radio. You can hear, I will post this broadcast uh, on all the coaching groups that I'm with. Uh, the, the nice thing about Block Talk Radio is you can listen anytime you want. And uh, next week we'll have another author on, uh, Coach Chuck Reese. Um, matter of fact, for the next couple, the following week we have. Um, Coach uh, Scott Williams uh, will be uh, joining us. So tell your friends about the broadcast, uh, the almighty willing. I will talk to you again uh, next week. Uh, the Florida tennis, uh, this issue is out uh, now. It should be in your uh, tennis shops. And uh, those of you that uh, uh, get the edition sent to you, should be getting it any day if you didn't because I think I received mine on Monday I think but don't quote me on that but I did get mine anyway so uh, I look forward to uh, talking with you again next week if you haven't read uh, The Good Doctor's book I would recommend strongly winning the mental match uh, The Winner's Mind Thing to win. I think the problem, well, I shouldn't say that, but now it does have to be a problem, but I don't think we go into reminding ourselves about uh, history. We don't know what's going on tomorrow, but reading these things, and if you're into tennis and into the business world, uh, you'd probably want to read uh, Alan Fox's books. So I look forward to talking with you next week. You have a blessed week. Tell your friends, and uh, the almighty willing, I'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye, John. Bye now.